You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. Well, Dale already mentioned New Year's resolutions, and I guess that's why we need to coordinate our announcements and the message more, because I was going to start and ask you if you've made any New Year's resolutions. (laughs) So seriously, a show of hands, who in here has made a New Year's resolution or a goal that they want to see accomplished in 2022? Okay, a handful of people, that's good. I've got... I've got a few myself. There have been years where I've thought, this is pointless. There's no reason to do this. And then a few years ago, um, I made some that really brought some change in my life. And so I've decided to try to make this more of a habit. And it's, it's a good thing to do every year. Every year, we come to this point, the start of the year. We ask the question, what do we want to change? What do we want to be different? And we set goals because the goals help us move towards the future and help us create the experiences that we want to have as we move into the future. And so this is why as individuals we do your New Year's resolutions and goals. Businesses do the same thing. Businesses have targets for sales and marketing and manufacturing and different ways that they want to grow their companies. Even governments do this. Governments have goals. They have time frames attached to their goals and it fits into their agenda. And so us as a church here at Seabreeze, we've decided to do this as well. We have a goal that we want to accomplish in this next year in 2022. And Bevan shared this with us last week, so I'm going to put it up on the screen so you guys can see it again. This is our goal for this next year. We want to become a church where the gospel moves out from us like a groundswell that brings restoration. That's talking about the kind of effect that we want to see happen. We want to be the type of church that the gospel moves out and brings restoration. This will happen as each of us takes next steps towards sharing the gospel with the goal of 100 people inviting somebody to respond to the gospel over the next year. Now, we didn't just choose this goal randomly. We didn't go on the internet and type in popular church goals for 2022 and read through the list and say, oh, that sounds fun. We should choose that one. We chose this goal because of the mission that God's given us as a church. And we're convinced that if if we can accomplish this goal, it will move us closer to the mission. And the mission is the, it's the destination that we're aiming at. It's the where are we going answer to the question. So this is our one sentence that summarizes the destination, the mission that we have as a church. This is going to be on the screen. Thoughtfully inviting broken people to experience transformation in Christ. This is the goal, or this is the destination that we are aiming at. And if we accomplish our goal, it'll move us closer to the destination. My, um, my wife and I, every summer, we load the kids up in the van and we head out on a road trip to a cabin right outside of Santa Fe, New Mexico. And we do this every year and I've got some family, my siblings and my parents are spread around the country and Santa Fe is kind of a good gathering place for our family. So we do this every year, and the, the drive, you know, if you put it into Google Maps, from our house to the cabin that we stay at, it's about 12 hours and 45 minutes nonstop. Now, we have four kids, and if you've ever traveled with kids, if you've ever road tripped, you know that there's no such thing as nonstop. So you see this on Google, and you think, oh, we could, we could easily do that. That's easy. But when we plan the trip, we don't just load up with the kids and say, all right, kids, next stop, Santa Fe. We say, next stop, the Chick-fil-A in Corona. Or if we're really feeling aggressive, we say, next stop, Barstow. We plan the trip in segments. Because if we plan it in segments, and instead of saying, next stop, Santa Fe, next stop, the destination, we say, okay, next stop, 
this point on the map. If we plan it that way and we communicate it that way, then we've increased the chance of arriving at our destination in Santa Fe with the family still intact. <laughs> and so it's really the same thing, same approach when it comes to what we do as individuals when it comes to New Year's resolutions. Same thing in companies and same thing for us as a church. We've got this destination, our mission, but then we set the goal, something that we want to see accomplished over the next year. And if we can accomplish that, it's going to get us closer to the destination that we're aiming at. Now, for any goal that we set, whether it's personal or in business or in the church, for any goal to be realized, there has to be a compelling why. There has to be a reason that serves as the motivation. I mean, we can, we can sit down and brainstorm and come up with any goal that we want to, but if there's not adequate motivation, if there's not a compelling reason behind it, as soon as we encounter challenges or difficulty or obstacles, well, we'll stop pushing forward. I mean, that, the road trip that our family takes to Santa Fe every year, the motivation is getting to spend a week with family and cousins in the mountains. That's the motivation. When we have multiple kids having meltdowns in the middle of the Mojave Desert, that motivation is very powerful. Because if it wasn't for that motivation, you know what we would do? We'd just turn around and come home. Just say, you know what, it's not worth it. Let's just go hang out on the beach on a Saturday. But the motivation of spending a week with family in the mountains and getting to see our cousins and extending family, that's, that's a powerful motivation. And so when we encounter challenges and obstacles, the motivation helps us push through. It gives us the answer to the, to the compelling why. It gives us the reason. And again, it's the same thing for us as a church. We, we have a destination that we're moving towards. We have a goal that we think, okay, if we can accomplish this goal, it's going to get us closer to the destination. But there have to be motivations behind the goal that help us keep moving forward. So at Seabreeze, we've identified five value statements that function as our motivation. So here are the value statements. First one is us for them. Just a simple statement that, that captures the idea that we exist for those who are not here yet. The next one is space to investigate. This, this acknowledges that in order for a heart-changing decision to take place, there has to be an environment of freedom. So we're motivated to give people the space to investigate so that they can decide for themselves. Another value is growth requires community. We acknowledge that the Christian life is not a lone ranger enterprise. We need the help. We actually require the help of others in order to grow, and they need our help too. And so that, that motivates us to do certain things. A fourth is wisdom requires training. Similar to an athlete who takes their skill and their athletic ability, and then they have to figure out how to apply it to the, to the situations they find themselves in a game within the rules of the game, it takes training for an athlete to be able to do that. Same thing as we navigate life. We can't just go out and just kind of figure it out. We've, we've, we need to train. We need a plan. We need to work something. We need to actually put in practice to learn how to take God's word, the truth of God's word, and situationally apply it the way that he wants us to. That takes training. Wisdom requires training. That's a motivation for us. And the fifth is faith inspires courage. This acknowledges that there is a cost to following Jesus. Faith involves risk, and if we're going to take the risk, our, the bigger our faith, the more willing willingness to take the risk and step out in courage. The less our faith, the less willingness to do this. Faith inspires courage, so that motivates us to grow our faith 
so that we can pay the price in following Jesus. These five values function for us as a church as motivators. And as we think about this goal that we have, so we've got this, the destination defined by the mission. We've got the goal that we have for this next year that's going to move us closer to the destination. As we think about that, there's two values on our list that really form the motivation for this goal for this next year. And the two values that we're going to turn the heat up on over this next year are us for them and faith inspires courage. Those two values can give us the compelling why. They can give us an adequate reason so that we encounter challenges or it, it gets awkward or we're wrestling with, is this really worth it? Those two values can be the motivation to help us press on and realize the goal that we've set for this next year. So this morning with our time, what I want to do is I want to unpack these two values and explore how they can motivate us in the area of accomplishing our goal. So let's start with the first value, us for them. Now this value, you see it several different places in the Bible, but one of the places you see this value on display is there's a story in Luke chapter 15, and there's an accusation made about Jesus. And in response to the accusation, Jesus uses that as an opportunity to provide some teaching on why he chooses this us-for-them approach in life. This is what it says, Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in this story, they're making some category distinctions. They say, This man welcomes sinners and eats with who? With them. And in this story, the them is the tax collectors and sinners. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they don't view themselves as part of that group. They view themselves as part of a separate group. They are, they're the us in this story. And if you think about it on the surface, the distinctions of us and them, those pronouns, they're really just realities for life. And what they do is they, they accurately identify distinctions between groups and people. Just on the surface, us and them, there's really nothing harmful about that. I mean, let's, let's take, for, for instance, tomorrow night, there's a college football game being played. It's a significant college football game between Alabama and Georgia, the national championship. Show of hands, who plans to watch the game tomorrow night? Okay, so we've just distinguished us and them. There's those of us who are going to watch the game, and then there's those of you, the them, that you're not going to watch the game. And even in my own house, there's an us <laughs> and a them. Like, I, I actually would, encount, I would count our infant Alden in the us because I'm going to be holding him as I watch the game, so he cares. But then there's my wife and kids. They're the them, the other kids. They don't care. So there's, there's, really, there's, there's really no problem with the distinction of us and them. I mean, it just, it just identifies. There's, there's differences. There are distinctions between us. The problem is not that there's an us and there's a them. The problem is caused by the attitudes that we choose. You know, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in this story, they don't just state the facts. They don't just say, Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them. It says that they muttered the facts. What muttering is, muttering is an attitude word. Whenever we mutter, what we do is we, we lower our voice and we mumble our words. In this passage in Luke 15, the us in the story had an attitude 
towards the them. And this is really common in life. This happens all the time. This attitude towards the them, between the two groups. One of the common attitudes that we see and even experience is us versus them. What this attitude does is it creates competition and animosity. It comes down to who's better or who's worse. And we see this every day in our society, even on, even on trivial, trivial issues like which sports team you root for. We see this us versus them, this competition. You know, if you're an, if you're an Alabama fan, you understand this because Alabama has been so dominant in college football over the last decade that there's really no middle ground. It, it's either you love Alabama or you hate Alabama. It's either you've been cheering for Alabama for years or you really want to see Alabama lose tomorrow night. So Alabama fans understand this, this us versus them. And my guess is there's probably some of you, as soon as I started talking about college football, you started to kind of glaze over. <laughs> and so for you, it might be you versus college football fans. But it, whatever it is, it, this is super common. You find this everywhere, this us versus them, this competition, this animosity, this whichever group I'm in is better than the other group. And guess what? This can even be found in churches, this attitude. And if this is true of you, if you have this us versus them attitude, then what that means is you're going to view the people that aren't here yet as the competition. And you're going to show animosity towards people that aren't part of the church. Us for them can permeate any group. It is a very common, us versus them can permeate any group. It is a very common attitude. It's one of the attitudes that we find. Another common attitude is us for us. So if it's either us versus them, which leads to competition, us for us is an attitude that creates apathy. We get so consumed with us that we just, we don't care. We're, we're unaware of what's going on around us. I want to show you a, a clip from the show Friends. And in this clip, they're um, hanging out in the coffee shop, and one of the employees at the coffee shop really wants to be a part of the group. And so I want you to see how they treat this individual in this clip. Hey, what, what's this? <laughs> it's, a, it's a bottle of champagne. Why is this here? Ross. I guess it's here because... I got tenure! Congratulations. Congratulations! This is the single greatest day of my professional career. Gunther, six classes. Six? You want me to join? Oh, I thought Joey was here. Five is good. <laughs> I'm going to have a loogie in my coffee tomorrow. One of the things I think is really good about that clip is Ross even acknowledges... He's like, he's like, hey, I probably shouldn't treat this guy this way. There's going to be consequences. But he just doesn't care. He doesn't care. He's completely apathetic towards Gunther in the story. I mean, you see this over and over again in the show. But again, this is a very common attitude, just so consumed with us that we just don't care about the them. We don't even, we don't even see the them. We're just, it's just it's apathy, no concern. And again, you, you find this anywhere. You can find this in the church. It's it's our walk with God. It's our Bible studies. It's our worship preference. It's about us. And whenever it becomes about us for us, then even when God presents us with an opportunity to love and serve somebody else, 
we just completely miss it. Why? It's all about us. Again, very, very common attitude. You know, when Jesus walked the earth, he modeled a very different approach to life. He modeled a different attitude, a different motivation. And rather than spending all of his time with the group who followed him, he spent large amounts of time with those outside of the group. In fact, the disciples, his closest followers, in order for them to follow him, they had to follow him as he went from different group to different group to different group, making new friends and sharing about God's forgiveness. He, he just kept doing this, this us for them, not, not viewing the world as competition, not just getting so consumed with himself that he was unaware of what was going on, but he continued to be aware and meet the needs of people in different groups. He didn't let the distinctions separate him. And this really, really frustrated the religious establishment of Jesus' day, which is why in this passage in Luke 15, when they see him doing this, they start muttering. They start saying, what in the world is going on with this guy? He's hanging out with the competition. He's hanging out with the people that don't matter. So then Jesus counters that, and he uses the rest of Luke 15 to explain why he takes this approach, and he does this in three stories. He starts with a story about a man who has 100 sheep, and he loses one. And then he tells a story about a woman who has 10 coins to her name, and she loses one of the coins. And then he ends with a story about a father who has two sons, and he has one of the sons leave home in the worst way. And in each of the three stories, what is lost becomes the focus of the story. That's why Jesus was us for them. He wasn't just about him getting his followers together and hanging out. He was here with a mission, to love people, to pay attention to the people that weren't there yet. He had an eye looking and focusing on those that were lost. A very, very different approach than what is common. But if we're going to accomplish this goal that we have for this next year, us for them has to be a motivation. A few weeks ago, I um, went to the grocery store in the evening, and I took one of our kids with us, and I was doing the shopping for the family that week, and so we were on a mission. So we show up to the grocery store, and a family, you know, there's six of us, so we fill the cart up. I mean, it's like, we, we, we go through a lot of groceries to feed everybody. So when we go to the store, we're on a mission. Heads down, accomplish the task. So I show up, and I only brought one kid, because I knew, like, hey, like, give mom a break. I'll take one of the kids, but I'm only taking one because I really need to make sure this mission happens. So we get to the store, and we park, and I'm getting my daughter out of the van. And the lady next to us, she's got her shopping cart, and she's emptying it, and she asks if we wanted to use her shopping cart. And so usually I would have just said, you know, yeah, thanks, I appreciate it, and, you know, taken her cart and moved on with my task. But as a staff as we've been talking about this goal that we have for this next year, we've been talking about what's going to be required if we're going to realize this goal. So we've been talking about, you know, having this us for them perspective, this attitude. So as she's emptying her cart, I decided, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try to enter into a conversation, you know, take a different approach than I usually would. So we're both at the same grocery store, and I make a uh, a comment about the store, something that I appreciate about the store that I've seen and experienced while I shop there. And in response to what I say, she agrees with me. She adds to it a little bit. And then she 
um, makes a, a pretty negative comment about a trend that she's seeing take place in society, just how she has this sense that people are becoming more and more selfish and not taking responsibility for the different things that are going on around them. And so she makes this comment, and in response to the comment, I decided to, at the risk of sounding corny and it getting really awkward in the conversation, I decided to simply say, um, there was a time in my life when I, too, was really selfish and just concerned with myself, and I, I didn't take responsibility for things going on around me. But then I was forgiven by Jesus, and as I've learned how to follow him, I've been learning a new approach to life. And so now, instead of being selfish, I'm trying to look for ways to serve people and help people out. Do you have a story like that, too? And in asking her that question, do you have a story like that, it opened the door for the conversation to continue. And it turns out, when she was younger, she had made a decision to follow Jesus. But then over time, life happened, and she got disconnected from the church, and she was the only person in her family um, that, was, that was a follower of God. And so as she went on and kept telling the story, she started telling me about some really, really hard things that were going on in her life, some challenges that she was experiencing and facing. And um, it, it gave me the opportunity to kind of share with her that it sounded like she, she needed some encouragement and how that's the place of the church. The church is where she could find that. She could find the community where she could get the, the help that she's looking for. I invited her to join us here at Seabreeze. And then kind of as the conversation um, was wrapping up, as we're standing there in the parking lot, I asked her if I could um, pray for her before we kind of parted ways and went on with the tasks that we um, had. So we, we prayed together right there in the parking lot. And uh, you should have seen my three-year-old. Um, she was in the shopping cart at this point. She just was wide-eyed the whole time, like, what in the world is dad doing in this situation? Like, we've got this task, doesn't he know? And he's sitting here talking. And I I share that just to say, like, I, I was so glad that we had spent all the time as a staff talking about this us-for-them attitude, because I'm so often kind of head down, what's the task, do what I need to do, that I don't, I don't often look up and consider the opportunities around me. But because I was challenged with this, having this us-for-them attitude, a simple interaction between, do you want my shopping cart, turned into an opportunity for me to really show love and care for another person that's important to God. And so again, if, if we're going to accomplish this goal, we've got this destination and this goal that's going to help us get towards the destination. If we're going to realize this, one of the motivations has to be us for them. Instead of just viewing other people as a competition or people getting in our way or it's just about us and our tasks and our mission and what we want to see accomplished. We've got to look up and just like Jesus, have this us for them attitude. A second motivation that we need is faith inspires courage. We see this value on display in a story told in Matthew chapter 14. There's a story. Um, it involves Jesus and his disciples, and they've just spent the day hard at work. They've been serving people all day. And then at the end of the day, Jesus is going to spend some time alone. So he says to his disciples, hey, why don't you guys cross the lake? I'll meet you guys on the other, other side. So they head out in the evening. And as they're headed across the water, a storm, um, they encounter a storm and they get stuck. And so they spend the night struggling against the storm, trying to make it to the other side of the lake. And that's where we're going to pick up the story, Matthew 14, starting in verse 25. Shortly before dawn, 
Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? In this story, what is the most common emotion experienced by the disciples? It's fear. And I, I, you can't blame them. I mean, whether it's in the middle of the night or in the middle of the day, if you're out on the water and all of a sudden you see somebody start walking towards you on top of the water, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be startled. That's going to be unnerving because it goes against my understanding of physics. I mean, that, that's weird. But props to Peter. What does Peter do? Jesus says, take courage, and Peter really wants to have courage. He wants to have that kind of faith. So what does Peter do? He gets out of the boat, and he starts walking on the water. But then as he's walking on the water, he sees the wind, and he, he sees the water shifting and moving around him, and his courage disappears, and he gives in to the fear as well. The most common emotion is fear. And as you read through the story, it's kind of like, in both of these cases, isn't fear logical? I mean, it seems like it is. So if it's logical, then why does Jesus say at the end of the story, you have little faith? Well, the reason he says this is just like the disciples, we have a tendency to only factor in our circumstances and what we can see with our physical eyes, and we forget about God and his power. See, faith is not closing your eyes and ignoring what you see. Faith is the ability to see God as well, to factor him in, to be honest about these are the challenges, this is what's going on around us, but I'm also going to factor God into the situation. That's what faith is. But what's so common for us is to just consider what we can see with our physical eyes and not factor God in. And I think it, when it comes to sharing our faith and inviting somebody to respond and decide to follow Jesus, I think especially in that area, this tendency to just see the circumstances is true. Back in October, we did something in here on a Sunday morning. We did a, a survey as part of the service, and it was a survey where we were really asking the question, where are we at with sharing our faith? Over 400 of you filled it out on a Sunday morning. And one of the questions that we asked as part of the survey is what are your top hang-ups, hesitations, or barriers to sharing your faith with others? And it wasn't a multiple-choice question. It wasn't a, you know, a list and you select from a list. It was a, it was a short answer question. It was a fill-in-the-blank. So you could write whatever came to mind, whatever your barriers were. I'm going to read to you what some of the most common answers sounded like. These are some of the most common answers. I'm afraid I won't say the right thing. I don't want it to be awkward. I'm afraid of what it might do to the relationship. I'm introverted and shy. Fear I will drive them away. Don't want to make them uncomfortable. I have self-doubt. Now when I read this list, I understand every single one of these because I've felt and experienced them too. Actually, recently I was really challenged by one of my kids because one of the things my wife and I have been trying to do with our 
kids is to help them understand the story of the Bible, help them understand who God is, how God created reality, how we're supposed to interact with him, what's wrong with the world, how Jesus came to fix the problems of the world, and trying to, trying to help our kids understand the story of the Bible and who God is. And one of our kids has really taken to this and is becoming pretty bold about her faith. And so we'll be um, at a park or hanging out with people, and she'll meet a new friend, and she's just met him, and she'll start asking questions about church. Do you guys go to church anywhere? Have you decided to follow Jesus? Have you heard about Jesus? And she's just, she's really upfront about her faith. And so uh, one day we were hanging out with some neighbors who are friends of ours, and the kids are all playing, and my daughter goes inside, and she gets her Bible, and she comes outside with her Bible, and she starts asking questions of the kids she's playing with. And I'm, I'm standing there, and I'm listening to this conversation between, you know, four, five, and six-year-olds, and my daughter starts asking questions about, well, do you know what happens when you die? And, you know, one of the kids, well, you turn into a ghost. And, no, no, you don't turn into a ghost. You either go to heaven or you go to hell. And, you know, you go to those places depending on if you've asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and if Jesus is in your heart. You know what my first emotion was, my first thought as I'm standing there listening to this? Do you think it was, it was pride in my daughter's faith and her boldness? No, it was actually, it was a thought of fear. What are the other parents going to say when they hear about this? Are they going to want to hang out with us anymore? Are, are they just going to think that we're that weird family that has these crazy beliefs and we try to force them all people? Those were my first thoughts, thoughts of fear. Actually, I, I had to confess those to God. I had to say, God, I am not viewing this situation from a perspective of faith at all. I'm viewing this from a perspective of fear. And that's wrong in this situation. There's a verse on this topic that's really challenged me. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, and Paul is writing, and this is what he says. He says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Now, what he's referring to when Paul writes, Let light shine out of darkness, he's referring to God's power in creation. The fact that God started with nothing and then made this physical world that we live in. That's an amazing amount of power. But what Paul's saying is, Paul's saying is that same power is needed if somebody's going to decide to follow Jesus. That's the point he's saying. He's saying, hey, this happened for us. This is how it works. The, the same creative power is needed in our lives. Now, I want to be real clear on this because what you and I do is important. I mean, we, we pray for people. We, we love people. We help people find answers to their questions. We share with them and invite them to respond. That is very important. Their part, the other person's part is very important. They, they've got to they've weigh the facts, consider the evidence. They've got to make a decision for themselves. So both my presentation and another person's response are very important. But the point that Paul is making here, what he's revealing, is the same God who created everything is also involved, and he's got to make his light shine in their hearts. Something miraculous, something supernatural has to happen. Usually we just look at my presentation and their response. And we usually just think about, well, what are the barriers to their response? And we don't factor in this 
miraculous, supernatural part of what happens when somebody decides to follow Jesus. And if you think about what the barriers are, the things we often look at, I mean, there are some significant barriers. For some people, there's pain. They've experienced something in their past, some pain, some loss, something that they've gone through, and they're wrestling with how could a good God let that happen? How could God be loving and I experience that? that that's significant. That's, that's a big barrier. Other people, it's the barrier of, I'm content, I'm comfortable. I have no idea why I would need God. I have everything that I want. I don't need God. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big barrier too. Other people, for some, it's, it's more intellectual barriers. They think the stories of the Bible and the story about Jesus, yeah, there might be some good morals, but it's really just fairy tale. They've never had anybody sit down with them and explain to them the evidence for this stuff. The fact that it, it, is, it is history, and we can prove a lot of these things. Other people, they've got questions about the meaning of life or the origin of life, or does Jesus actually impact a life? And you, you consider these different barriers that people have, and usually that's what we focus on. We focus on, okay, well, these things would all have to get figured out. And so we look at those barriers, and we come to the conclusion that it's just not possible. How could I ever say something that would help them through that past hurt? Or what could I say that would help them see that there's more to life than what they're experiencing now? And so we see the barrier and we just say, oh, it's impossible. And we forget something supernatural, something miraculous. The same God that said, let light shine in the darkness has to turn the lights on. That is required, but guess what? It's also possible. Now, if I can remember that, if I just look at the circumstances, if I just look at the barriers, I'm probably going to be quiet. But if I can remember that something miraculous and supernatural is both required and possible. I mean, it happened for me. Something miraculous had to happen for me to decide to follow Jesus. For many of you, that's your story too. God had to turn the lights on. Yes, somebody shared with you, you had to make a decision, but God had a part to play too. If we can remember that, then in the face of fear that often keeps us silent, guess what we can do in that face of fear if we remember God and how he's at work? Well, we'll push through the fear. Well, now, now that's the kind of faith that can give me courage to act and to open my mouth and to share with the other person. Something miraculous and supernatural is required, but guess what? It's also possible. So yeah, what I say matters. How I live matters. Praying for them is important. That matters. They've got to weigh the facts and decide for themselves. But then God is also in the middle of it, and he has the ability to do something miraculous. And if I can remember that, well, that's the kind of faith that can inspire courage. So this, this goal that we have for this next year, we've got this destination to, defined by our mission, this goal, everybody taking the next step, whatever it might be, taking the next step towards sharing your faith with the goal of 100 people inviting somebody to respond to, this gospel, to the gospel. That goal that we have for 2022, if that's going to happen, the motivation behind the goal has to be us for them and faith inspires courage. Let's pray. Father God, I, I thank you for giving us adequate motivation. 
I thank you that we don't just have to drum up an emotion or a feeling, but we can anchor our motivation in reality. And in anchoring it in reality, it allows us to keep pushing forward, even if we don't feel like it, and even when it gets hard. So I thank you that you're the one that said that people matter because they're made in your image. And so we don't have to come up with some reason or some justification for why people are important, but we can view people as significant and important simply because you said they are, and then Jesus, you came and proved that they are. And then God, I thank you that instead of just looking at the circumstances, we have more to look at. We can consider you and how you're at work. And because of that, faith can inspire courage. So I pray that our motivation would flow out of these two values and that we would see this goal accomplished this year. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church podcast.